had something that was important I was going to tell you. It was really important, huh? I still can't hear you. Um, maybe. No, that's in the bulletin. They got that. There was something else that was really important. I don't remember. Let me tell you this, and then I'll remember that. I'm not going to... Um, so I've been telling you guys about a book called Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. Great book. Would recommend it. If you are looking for something else to read, I'm just starting this book uh, called Letters to a Diminished Church by Dorothy Sayers. And I bought it because there's an essay in here on page 125 called Why Work, which is the sermon series we're in. is called Why Work. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, um, and I've only read excerpts of her stuff, but she always makes my mind bend in um, wonderful ways. Something I wanted to tell you. Oh, I know what it was. Um, when Jennifer was singing, just wanted to... If you're here and you've been struggling with um, addiction or mental illness or something that feels like it has enslaved you, and maybe it's enslaved you for a long time. Uh, Not long ago, I was um, praying over somebody who was battling addiction, and in my spirit, I was able to see them and see them wrapped in these old chains covered in rust and these ancient, ancient locks. And I remember looking at them and them telling me, I've lost the keys, I've lost the keys, I've lost the keys. And Jesus just saying, you got old chains, I got old keys. Let's go to work. And so friends, there is freedom for you too. And we'd love to help you find it. You can find me in my office or on my cell. And we will uh, walk this road together as best we can. Let's pray and then we will jump into scripture. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Um, I just give you all that I am and what I am, and, and I just acknowledge that my heart feels tender this morning, and I feel your spirit here. I feel that you have already been softening us like meat tenderizer, preparing us for this word through song and through our kids, and seeing all those kids on the front row and singing this music. Lord, you have been guiding us to this moment. Would you give us the courage to, to stay here and to listen to you for a while? Would you release us? Would you free us? Would you remake us? Would you speak to us for we're listening? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from the book of Romans. Romans is in the New Testament. It's a letter to a church in Rome. Um, So it's probably 80, 85% of the way through the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. Acts chapter 8. I mean, Romans chapter 8, thank you. Romans chapter 8, I'm going to start at verse 18. So big number 8, little number 18. Listen again to God's word. The Bible says this, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought to the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but this but the word of the Lord endures forever. This too is God's word. Thanks be to God. 
So I got two brother-in-laws. I actually have three brother-in-laws, but I'm only telling you about two of them, so pretend for a second that the third doesn't exist. And I'll tell you a story about him on a different day. So I got two brother-in-laws who are pumped about this sermon series. Uh, the first is married to my sister, Mary-Kate. He lives in Raleigh. His name's Jason. He's a, a good guy. He's a, a businessman and an entrepreneur. He's short, and that has nothing to do with his character. It's just a fact about him. Um, Jason is pumped about this because I sent him a four podcasts like two months ago about a God's plan for business and God's plan for work and he devoured those and then he said what else do you have and I gave him a copy of Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller and he's been just devouring that and he is all on board with God's good plan for work he is passionate about how business is an opportunity uh, to create a better world how profit making is not contrary to the gospel, but that, that there is a role for business and profit making and meaningful employment to, in making community, in making society. And that's why my, my brother-in-law, Jason, actually left his job with a church in order to start his own company, because he's passionate about how business can make the world a better place. And so he could have preached the first two sermons of this a series. He is all on board with that. He could have told you that work is not a necessary evil, that God created work, and that God gave us work as a blessing. That God gave us work as a blessing meant to help us enjoy God and to help us flir- to lead God's creation into flourishing. He could have told you uh, that we really have, God gives us two chief areas of work. He tells us that we should be fruitful and multiply, which means that the first thing God is commanding us to do is to fill the world with God's image bearers by creating disciples, by discipling the next generation, by raising up spiritual children and physical children. God is not about us making more babies. He is about us making more disciples. And that will involve making some babies. Some of you are excited about that. Uh, Some of the other ones are like, yeah, no more, please please. Um, And some of you are mourning the fact that uh, that wasn't in the cards for you, uh, biological kids. And to you, he would still say, God is for spiritual children, so invest in families. And then the second thing is to grow and to cultivate. God wants us to make society, but he also wants us to make industry. God has told us to be fruitful and to multiply, and then to fill the earth and to subdue it. To fill the earth and to subdue it. And by that, God means to take the raw material of the created world and to give it order and structure and purpose and beauty with all our industry and all our hard work. And so uh, we talked last week that, that every job does this to some degree or another. If you're an educator, you take the raw material of children's minds and you start to give it shape and form. You start to teach them um, how to think about the world. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then think about this. Um, There's a a philosopher named Wittgenstein, and Wittgenstein says, the limits of my language are the limits of my understanding. And so as you teach your child to speak, you are helping them understand the world as you teach them those things. If you are a... um, if you, I don't know, we could think of anything else, uh, but we're going to keep moving. I don't want to get, and so uh, we are supposed to do it in these two areas that we are to uh, work and to transform the raw ingredients into creation, and we're supposed to, as we do that, make disciples who make disciples who fill the world with God's goodness and God's glory, and my brother-in-law, Jason, is pumped about this. His, he loves being in business. That's why he started his own company. That's why he is um, now working for another company. But my older brother-in-law is uh, married to Claire's sister, 
uh, Claire's sister, Kristen. So what do you call your sister-in-law's husband? Is that like, do the in-laws cancel out or do they like, so he's just my brother or do they like quadruple on? So he's like my in-law, in-law, in-law? Um, like, I don't know what you call him, um, but that's for a different sermon. Um, he is an incredible guy. He's a creative artist. He's a 3D graphic, um, he's a 3D animator. And so he does everything from making 3D jewelry uh, to making um, 3D advertisements or to make like a 2D picture look 3D or to uh, work in films. In fact, he got to go to Russia and to help create this elaborate chase scene in The Born Supremacy. He's wonderfully talented and I always want to know what he's working on next but unfortunately for him, he often doesn't know what he's going to do next because he's freelance. And so when I get together, I ask him, what are you working on now? What are you working on now? And I remember this conversation that has stuck with me. It just broke my heart. I sat down with him one time, and we were just talking about work. And I remember him saying, you know what I've been doing? You know what I've been doing? I've been making 3D animated flying cups of yogurt for a commercial. Like, I have designed these flawless, beautiful yogurt cups that spin through the air in the background of a commercial and they look perfect and real and I just wish I was doing something that mattered like is the world better because I made 3D yo play yogurt cups that fly in a commercial a little while ago I was talking to him and he was like what are you working on he was like man I'm designing fake eyelashes for a Maybelline ad that like stick to the woman's face not like actual ones, but like animated ones. I just, is that, is that making the world better? Like I just wish my work did something. And he could talk about what we're doing right now. He could give you a sermon on what we're doing right now because something is broken. Something is not right with work. Maybe for the last couple of weeks, you felt agony as I preached on the goodness of work, the essential blessedness of work. And you felt like none of it applied to you because you're sitting there thinking, you only think work is good because you've never worked my job with my boss and my coworkers, and you've never tried to make a living on my paycheck. Maybe that's been you, and you're right. Work is not what it should be. Work is not what God's designed it to be or what God is going to redeem it to be. Work too often is a burdensome, toilsome, exploitative, undercompensated activity which sucks up huge amounts of our life and time and energy. Think about it again. According to the Gallup survey, 90% of all laborers in the world, 90% of all laborers around the world spend their days doing things they'd rather not do for people they would rather not be with. They do it to make a paycheck so they can support their families. And that is noble in itself, but still 90% is depressing. Even in the United States, in this flourishing um, metropolitan economy, 70%, 70% of workers are working jobs they do not believe in and that they feel no passion for. Something is broken with our work and our economic system. Something is real bad wrong. And so what is that? Well, the Bible narrates what that is in Genesis chapter three, which we just talked about. We see that God created this incredible world and he created me and you and, and humanity in his own image and he, he set them in the garden to grow it and to till it and to cultivate it, to make image bearers, to make children, to make family, to make society, to build industry and technology, to, to improve the garden. And that was what was going on. That's why the Bible starts in a garden and ends in a city. But something goes wrong in the middle of it. And it's this mutiny, this rebellion. God gives uh, one rule, this one 
asks this one request. He says, there's a tree in the middle of the garden. Do not eat of it. You can eat of anything else you want, but not that one. And it was just something God asked for the sake of asking. And yet, Eve is deceived by the serpent and she takes some of the fruit and she eats it and she gives it to her husband and he eats. And all of a sudden, their connection with God is severed. For all of their known life, they've been able to hear God's voice. They've been able to live under the shadow of God's love and God's grace and knowing that God's got their back, that God is here invested in what they're doing, that God is their business partner, that God is intimately involved in their family. And all of a sudden, all that is shattered. And there's consequences. And we see these in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, where we just were, you might want to keep your Bible open because we're going to study it pretty closely. God does these things, starting in verse 14 and working down, when he, find, when he has this conversation with Adam. In verse, 11, verse 14, he says to the serpent, Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You know what's funny in this? These are generally th- thought of as the curses of the fall. God never curses humanity, and he never curses work. He does curse the ground and the serpent. I'd never thought about that. God doesn't curse human beings here. He only curses the serpent and the ground. But see, if we keep going, the thing he's going to describe both for the woman in verse 16 and for the man in verse uh, 17 is this thing you'll see there. It says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe, and with painful labor you will give birth to children. Now go to verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. Did you see, a, a, did you see something that was the same in both? This phrase, painful labor. Painful labor. In the Hebrew, the actual Hebrew, the word is the exact same. The work that the, the woman does in labor in birthing this child and the work that the man is going to do in the garden by uh, trying to birth a garden is the same Hebrew word. It means painful, difficult labor. He's saying now the work of growing and cultivating and developing a disciples and a family, both through childbirth and through child rearing, and the work of growing and cultivating a civilization, a society, a culture, an industry is going to take painful hard work and the bible uses two words to describe why that is in verse 18 he says your work will now produce thorns and thistles for you your work will produce thorns and thistles for you these thorns and thistles are the reason why work is so broken so frustrating so angry why we feel like our work has no point or why work is hard or why it's disappointing And so I want to talk about thorns and thistles for just a second. I see that these thorns and thistles represent at least four things from this scripture if we think about it very, very carefully, very, very closely. The first is that now because of thorns and thistles, because of the fall, because our relationship with God has been estranged, because we live in a fallen world, work now has potential for failure. Work now has potential for failure, for absolutely not producing anything. Think about this, that the potential could be all swallowed up by the thorns and the weeds. Jesus tells a parable in which that actually happens. Weeds overtake a garden and destroy the entire harvest. You and I, our work could just fail miserably now. Second, thorns and thistles, because of thorns and thistles, work now takes more work than it should. Because of thorns and thistles, because of the fall, work now takes more work than it should. Anybody ever been doing something and thought, why is this so hard? Like, it did not look this hard on HGTV. Like, 
did not look that hard on the cooking network. It did not look that hard on this old house. It did not look that hard in the instructions. Work takes more work than it should. You know this, um, anybody ever like built a house, not like by your hands, but you contracted it to have it built or renovated one? What was the refrain you heard all the time? Behind schedule and over budget always behind schedule and over budget why because work takes more work than it should work takes more time than it should you know this you've uh sat down one time and you uh and you and it just took more intense focus more energy more you, you thought to yourself it shouldn't be this hard why does it take this much extra energy why is it so hard i wrote um that about that house and then i said Anybody ever stayed up way too late to like 1 a.m. with an elementary school kid trying to finish a 3D model of like Lady Liberty? You're sitting there and you're thinking, why is this school, pro it's two o'clock in the morning, my eighth grader, what are we doing up at two o'clock in the morning trying to glue popsicle sticks together to form the Grand Canyon? From the simplest to the, the most painstaking, difficult ones, we know that work takes more work than it should. We always underestimate how much work it'll be. Third thing we see with thorns and thistles, because we live in a fallen world with thorns and thistles, work is now less productive than expected. It actually produces less. It produces less fruit than it should. So not only does it take more work, it produces less. We cannot ever get done all of what we hope or plan. The outcome does not match our expectations. Stay-at-home parents, have you ever written a to-do list and not get through half of it in a single day off? Like your kids are finally at daycare and you're like, praise God, I'm going to get the whole bathroom cleaned. And like one toilet later, you're looking at the shower thinking, I just don't think I can make it. Retirees, you've had your whole career to look back on. Did you make it as far in your career as you thought you would when you were 22 years old? Did you build it as far as you did? Did you make the impact that you had dreamed about when you were still a dreamer? Did you get done what you had hoped to get done? We can't do it. And then the last thing that's connected to this is that even the things we do well, we can't do as well as we'd like to. If you're an artist, you know that when you're, you're working on this painting, you know the painting is done because... It's just as good as it's going to get. Is it as good as you want it to be? Never. Is the song as perfect as you hoped it would be? No, it's not. And this is true for artists. It's true of my sermons. I, will never, I am not the preacher that I want to be. I'm frustrated every time I finish preaching that I couldn't preach the sermon that was in my head. In my head, it was brilliant. Last thing. Because of thorns and thistles and we work in a fallen world, work now has unintended consequences. There are now unintended negative consequences of all work. All our work produces fruit, the good stuff, the stuff we want, and thorns, the stuff that's bad, the stuff that hurts, the stuff that draws back from us. So there are unintended consequences. Think about this. I just spent some time uh, over the week thinking about some of the greatest technological advances and the thorns and the fruit that came with it. The Industrial Revolution and then uh, Henry Ford's kind of furthering of that through the, the specialization of labor on assembly lines has allowed us to produce more stuff, more goods, more efficiently than ever before. And yet it has entrapped millions of people in soul-sucking labor. Second, the steam engine and the railroad. This incredible thing that allowed us to travel across country. Before that, you had to get Oregon Trail and hope you didn't die of dysentery in Siberia or typhoid fever. 
And yet that was one of the things that was instrumental in leading to the extinction hunting of buffalo and to further displacement of Native Americans. The internal combustion engine allows for greater mobility in automobiles and power generation and involves lawnmowers, thank God. But it's also responsible for helping to destroy the ozone layer and the environment. The other thing that helps destroy the ozone layer um, was Freon that we used to just like dump out everywhere we wanted to, uh, but it makes refrigerators and air conditioning, and I'm a big fan of that. Uh, we made fertilizers and pesticides which greatly increased our crop yield, and yet they ended up being carcinogens that our good work produces thorns to. And the fifth thing about thorns and thistles and work in a fallen world is this. Work now ends where? In dust. Work ends in dust. At the end of it, it says, you all the days of your life, in verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. You can work as hard as you possibly want to. You can build the best company the world's ever seen. You can make the best brand, the most life-saving medication. You can cure polio and you still die. You still die. As one preacher likes to say, at the end of the game, all of it goes back in the box. Everything you are building is turning to dust. Everything you are doing is turning to dust. And this is part of the thorns and the thistles. That our, world, our, work, our work has the potential for failure, that it takes more work than it should, that it produces less than we hoped, that um, it has unintended consequences and that it cannot save us, and it does not endure. That's work in a fallen world. I don't know about you, but like that, that makes sense to me. That's the world I live in. That's the work I know. That's really heavy. And so what are we to do with all this? How are we to respond? Why? Why is this the case? Why is this what it is? Well, the fall severs our perfect relationship with God. Our rebellion against God, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God, and then you and my being complicit and active in rebelling against God disconnects us from the source of our value and our confidence, our hope and our love. This is portrayed graphically in the creation story because at the end of creation, Adam and Eve are doing these incredible tasks. Adam names all the animals on the planet. Like, anybody think that would be overwhelming? Like, I don't know that many words. And you want me to make them up? And he does it. He does this incredible thing. After the fall, he can't even garden. Because before, they're naked, without shame. They live in the perfect love and the perfect light of God's relationship with them. They get their value and their confidence. But when that's severed, look what happens to them. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, When they fell, uh, they started to feel three things. And I think every human being feels these three things because of the fall. The first, it says in verse 8, When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. First word, afraid. I was afraid. We now have fear. And this infects our work. We're afraid of failure. And, and we ask the question, am I a mistake? We're afraid of incompetence. And so we ask the question, nagging in our hearts, am I good enough? We're afraid of economic insecurity. And so we ask the question, will I have enough? We're afraid of the judgment of others. What will so-and-so think? And we're afraid of the consequences. What are the, what are the consequences that I can't see? What will... What might happen to the world if I, if I do this? Next thing that we see that they experience, right? In the same verse, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. What he's feeling there is shame. He feels shame. So we feel fear and that infects our work. We feel shame and that infects our work. 
We're ashamed that I can't do it perfectly, that I can't do it as good as blank, that I'm, that I'm just a plumber, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a, a private in the army, I'm just a mechanical engineer, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm not that important. I'm ashamed of what I do. And I'm ashamed that I'm not more rich or more successful or more balanced. I'm ashamed that I'm not a Pinterest mom or that I don't have my own vlog or that, I don't know, that I'm not winning Food Network star. That I'm not growing my own organic vegetables. This shame for silly stuff infects us. And the last thing that they feel in the last, it says, I was naked. Um, And so I hid, is this feeling of exposure this feeling of exposure that my name, my identity, my value are all riding on this, on my performance, on whether this goes right or wrong, on how people respond to me, that my family depends on this money, that we're only one paycheck away, that we're only one sickness away, one bad break, and everything's gone. So we see Adam feels fear and shame, and he feels exposed. That's true. That's how we all interact with work now. And so we respond in the same ways that Adam did. How did Adam respond? There's two main categories, and I'm going to break them down into two subpoints each as we head towards the end of this thing. We can either underwork or we can overwork. We can take the fear and the shame and the exposure we feel when it comes to our job, our vocation, our schoolwork, our home life, our family, our profession, our career, and we can either underwork or we can overwork. Let me show you how Adam does these things in the same verse, right? The first ways that Adam underworks, he hides and he blames. He hides and he blames. Adam hides from God. He said, I heard you walking and I was naked and I was afraid in verse eight, and so I hid. The way he deals with his fear and his shame and his exposure is he hides. And maybe in your work life, this, uh, this manifests itself through work, avoidance, or procrastination. Students, do you wait till the last night to get that project done? Adults, do you wait till the last day of due diligence to finish the paperwork on your home loan? Do you uh, hide, uh, do you uh, settle for easy work and never try anything bold or daring because you can just hide in the comfort zone of, this is something I can do. Is it something I'm passionate about? No. And so you never take any risk because you're, you're just hiding there. We tend to hide. We hide either from our work or we hide in our work. But we use work as a means of hiding. Second way this infects us. And so when we hide, we don't do the work we're given. We keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. We hide from work. We run from it. A second one is we blame You see, Adam says in verse 12, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit to eat from and I ate from it. Adam does not take responsibility. Adam blames. Adam underworks by blaming others. I didn't get my job done because so-and-so didn't get their job done. I didn't do everything I was hoping to do because the circumstances didn't allow it. And we blame it in our jobs. We blame the failures on others, on our coworkers, our bosses, our employees. I'm late because my kids were bad. I'm... I'm late. The house is a mess because the kids don't do their chores. We blame it on circumstances. And so that's our underwork. And so we actually get less done. We just choose to do less. What we're actually doing there is, is trying not to fail. We're trying to, so we, we don't make a decision because we're afraid of making the wrong decision. And we don't do the work because we're afraid we'll do it wrong because we don't want to get it wrong. We're afraid of failure. It's failure avoidance. On the other side, it's not failure avoidance, it's overwork and performance seeking. It's the desire to get the the job done. And so the first thing we see Adam does, Adam um, makes 
a suit of fig leaves from himself, right? He makes a suit of fig leaves. If you're wondering where that is, it's in verse seven. He makes a suit, a, a, some clothing out of leaves. And so first thing that Adam does when he goes to overwork, he costumes, he masks, he justifies, and he minimizes. And so some of us, we, we use our job as an identity. It becomes who we are, what we are, what we project into the world. Uh, uh, Lloyd-Jones, I can't remember his first name. Uh, he was a great preacher in England. And he used to say he was a doctor and then became a preacher. He said, of most of the doctors I know, it could be written on their tombstone, born a man, died a doctor. Born a man, died a doctor. That they got so wrapped up in, their whole identity became who they are. And so they cover it as fig leaves that we hide behind it, that we use work to justify our existence, that we use it um, to make us who we are. And the last one that we see um, is what God says Adam is going to do in verse 16. He says, to, he, tells, he warns the woman, he warns Eve. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The last way that we fall into overwork, the first is that we hide in our work. We wrap work around us with clothing, like a clothing, our identity, and we have to get it right. We have to succeed. We have to accomplish. We have to achieve. And the last one, and that leads us to domination, to ruling and exploiting. We exploit others. We conquer others. We win at all costs. And so the work is broken. Work and the world are broken, but the gospel changes everything. Friends, if there is no area of the created world that is not touched by sin, then there is no area of the created world that God doesn't want to remake by his grace. There is no part of your life that God doesn't want to change and to transform by his love, not just your, not just your inside feelings, not just your sense of purpose and meaning, not just your family, but your profession as well. And so let me show you this. The question that we're actually asking is here is we become aware through this that there is work underneath the work I'm doing. There is work under the work. Think about Adam. Adam had work beforehand and after the fall. He had work to do before the fall and after the fall. And it didn't change much. In both cases, he was a gardener. So why is some of it enjoyable and some of it unenjoyable? The difference is the work under the work. When we are separated from God, when we are living in sin, when we are after the fall, when we are cut off from Jesus, we have to work for identity. Work for identity. The work that I'm doing under the work is I must make a name for myself. I must build my identity. I must build my brand. I must defend my worth. I must earn others' respect. I must prove myself. I must be a self-made man. When I'm separated from God, then I work for identity. And so failure is not an option because my identity, my value, my worth is at stake. And that leads me, either it overwhelms me and I run from work and I hide from it because I can't handle it, or I bury myself in work because I need value, I need affirmation, I need worth. But friends, but friends, but friends, in Jesus Christ, in, in God's uh, redemption of us, when we are reconnected from, reconnected to God, when we are in perfect intimacy with God like Adam and Eve were, uh, as we move towards God, as we trust in God, as we uh, rest in Him, then we don't work for identity. We work from identity. Let me tell you about the difference. When I work from identity, my ID, identity, my worth, my value, my status, my respect, my name is secure in God. I know who I am. My value is not on what I make, 
what I do, what my professional title is, what color my uniform is. My value is in the God who made the world and knit me together. I am loved, I belong, I am wanted, I am wonderfully made. God has given me appropriate work to do. I am God's, I can learn, I can grow, I can change. I am loved, not because of what I do, but because of who God is and what he says about me. And when I work in that place, when I work from that identity, then I no longer have the same pressure to perform or the same fear of failure because I know that failure doesn't define me. That if I fail moving in right directions towards God, then God is up there celebrating my failure, saying, good work, that was a good faithful risk. Way to try it. Just as you did when your son fell off his bike the first time he tried. And when I succeed at work, God's not impressed, but he's pumped. He knew, he's, he's up there saying, I love it when you do awesome things. I'm cheering for you. I get, you, see, you saw how I put uh, Sam in that place just so he could tell you at the right moment. You see how I put John in the office. You see how I brought uh, Sarah or Emily at the right time and they gave you just the right things you needed to accomplish that. I want you to succeed. So let me ask you, are you working from an identity rooted in God's love of you? Or are you working for an identity trying to prove that God should love you? Let's pray. God, we feel the frustration of not being able to do the task you gave us. We're not the dads we want to be or the moms we want to be. We're not, um, we don't have the careers that we thought we'd have. We don't get done what we hope to get done. We don't bless the world as much as we want to bless the world. We've made decisions that we thought were great, exceptional, and they had unintended consequences. They led to job layoffs or economic downturn or, or maybe even uh, financial ruination. But we choose right now to just trust you, to find our identity in you, to stop all our deadly doing and to let you tell us who we are. Jesus, for any of my friends here who are feeling just the weight of living in a broken world, feeling the weight of their own sins, and you can give that stuff to God. You can experience his liberation from overwork or from underwork, from procrastination or from performance by becoming a Christian and starting to figure that out. And you can start right now with something as simple as ABC. Admit you're a sinner. You've been running your own life, being your own boss, and you made a mess of it. B, believe Jesus died on a cross to save you. And C, commit to following Jesus for the rest of your life. You can do that with a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. I need you. If any of the things I do in life have any purpose or value or meaning, I'm not capable of being my own manager, but I believe you died on a cross to save me and to give me purpose and a value to show me what I am worth. And so I commit to following you and living life your way for the rest of my life to committing my my family life and my professional life and my emotional life and my spiritual life to enjoying you and to making you famous by serving other people. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, because God loves us, not because we're trying to earn God's love, let's continue to worship God with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. If you're new, we don't want your money. We wouldn't ask you over to our house and then make you pay our light bill but we would ask you to fill out a Your Welcome Here card so that we could pray for you and get to know you. Come, let us worship God.